Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. What is the case for miracles? You know, in previous programs recently, we've been talking about this topic of miracles. We've had Dr. Craig Keener on. We're going to have Dr. Craig Keener on again next week for that second part of the interview. But there's nobody out there who writes a better book on apologetics than my friend Lee Strobel, and he's our guest today. He's got another great case book, The Case for Miracles. Now, you, you, if, if you, you've been anywhere near Christianity over the past 20 years, you know about Lee because he wrote the seminal book, The Case for Christ. In fact, last year, it was actually a movie that was so well done. It did extremely well in the theaters. It's doing well in DVD now. It's really a movie about Lee's life and his wife, Leslie, and how uh, she came to Christ and then how he came to Christ. So you know that book, The Case for Christ. You probably also heard of The Case for Faith, The Case for the Creator, The Case for Grace, The Case for the Real Jesus. Now we have a book that Lee has put together called The Case for Miracles. And what Lee does so well is he interviews the best people on the topic scholars and then he puts what they say into understandable conversational language so anybody can understand it and he even in this case interviews a top atheist on the issue of miracles and we're going to get into it all today so it's a great privilege to have again lee strobel on the show lee how you doing i'm doing great frank thanks so much for having me i appreciate it oh my pleasure it's always great having you on and just reading another great book that you have put together, The Case for Miracles. Why, why did you decide to do this one, Lee? Well, as you know, um, having been an atheist much of my life, uh, I tend to be a skeptic. My background's in journalism and law, so that kind of feeds my skepticism. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I came to faith, as you know, because of my investigation of the miracle of the resurrection and becoming convinced that the historical data really do support uh, not only Jesus having claimed to be the Son of God, but then backing up that claim by returning from the dead. So that that was pivotal in bringing me to faith, but my skepticism didn't go away. Um, Mm. I would see some supposed healings on television, or uh, and I always wondered, you know, is God still active in terms of miracles today? Is he still divinely intervening in people's lives today? How... I, can we trust these claims of miracles that happen in the 21st century? Um, and so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training, and uh, I spent a couple of years investigating uh, the evidence uh, for miracles. Um, I wanted to get to the bottom of whether or not um, they still happen, and I concluded they do. I wanted to get back, uh, get down to the issue of are they are they more common than we think, and I believe they are. And then I wanted to look at, um, can they be well-documented? And I believe many of them are far better documented than skeptics suppose. And you also deal with the thorny question, what happens when miracles don't occur? Yeah, you know, I knew I couldn't write a book on this topic without dealing with that question. Um, right. As you know, my wife Leslie suffers from a medical condition that has her in chronic pain for the last 20 years or so, every day, and it's incurable. She'll have this the rest of her life, uh, pain every day. And, of course, we prayed for God to relieve her of that and and for God to um, heal her, as we know he will ultimately when she uh, leaves this world. But 
um, you know, we would love to see her heal now, and that hasn't happened. Mm. So mm. it's a personal issue for us. And um, I went and I interviewed a, a guy who both of us know, Doug, uh, Dr. Douglas Groteis, right. uh, who was a well-known Christian apologist and a philosopher, but whose own wife um, is Rebecca is uh, suffering from dementia and a fatal brain condition that, unless God intervenes, will claim her life at a premature age. So he could, he was able to talk on uh, you know not just the philosophical level, the intellectual level, the academic level, but on a very personal level as well. And you know honestly, I think that that interview with him was one of the most profound. Uh, interviews I've ever had in all my years um, of, of uh, doing this. Uh, he, it just there's so much wisdom and uh, that just flows from his um, words in that chapter. So I, I felt like I had to cover that issue um, because you know it's it's clear in Scripture that healing is not and was not automatic in Jesus' day. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus did not do many miracles in Nazareth and. Um, Paul left Trophimus behind uh, when Paul left uh, on a missionary journey. And he was still sick, and Paul himself was not healed of this thorn in the flesh. And uh, in Matthew chapter 10, the disciples are given the authority to heal, and then seven chapters later, they fail to heal an epileptic boy. So we know that healing was not uh, automatic every time in, the old, in, in Scripture. And uh, certainly we see examples today of godly people who uh, suffer and uh, who's um, uh, the miracle doesn't come? I think of our good friend Nabil Qureshi, right. um, who both of us, uh, you know, were were um, very close to. Who was a great apologist, and um, God was using him in mighty ways. But uh, we all prayed for a miraculous healing in his case from stomach cancer, and yet uh, he succumbed ultimately to that disease. So, what do you do with that? And uh, right. I, I knew we had to address that in the book as well. Well, you've redressed it very well. The book, of course, is called The Case for Miracles. A journalist investigates evidence for the supernatural by Lee Strobel. And here's some of the people that Lee has interviewed in this book. These are the kind of people that are, can speak to this issue. He interviewed Dr. Michael Shermer. We'll talk about him in a minute. He is an atheist, a skeptic. He, he interviewed Dr. Craig Keener. We've had on the program here, and we'll have him on tomorrow. Uh, several others he interviewed. You may have heard, of course, Jay Warner Wallace, our mutual friend, uh, he just mentioned Doug Groteis and several other people who are experts in issues related to miracles. And that's why you need to get this book. It's brand new. It's, it's only out this week. It's called The Case for Miracles. And as all of Lee's books uh, do, they do very well for good reason. They're easy to read. They got the best information in them. And uh, that's because he interviews the top people in the world. Let's start with Dr. Michael Shermer, if we would. Uh, yeah. Lee, I had a, had a debate with him a few years back. Uh, he's a very affable, nice atheist uh, yeah. who used to be a Christian, and now he heads Skeptic Magazine. What did you learn from him? Because he's obviously a skeptic on these things. He is, and and I, I thought, you know, um, to start off the book, I wanted to go to someone like Dr. Shermer, who's a well-known, well-respected skeptic, and uh, challenge him and say, hey, give me your best shot. Give me your best case against miracles. And so I, I devote the first three chapters of the book looking at uh, him building this case, uh, trying to shoot down the possibility of God's supernatural involvement in, uh, in, with humankind. And because um, I, I, I knew it was not, not going to be a very strong case. And, uh, and yet I wanted him to lay it out. I wanted him to uh, do his, give it his best shot. Um, and, you know, he predictably um, raised a lot of the issues that atheists typically raise. 
Uh, one of the things that many of them do, and he does, is is to kind of raise their level of skepticism to unreasonable heights. Mm. Uh, you know, in, in ways that they wouldn't for other things. For instance, uh, there was a woman who's a physician and an atheist who wrote an article in Shermer's magazine, Skeptic Magazine, and she said, what would it take for me as an atheist to believe in miracles? Well, she said, if a chicken learned how to read and then beat a grandmaster at chess, then I, th- I would start to kind of wonder whether something uh, supernatural, uh, unusual was going on here. She wouldn't use the word miracle there, but um, it's like they, they kind of fold their arms and ratchet up their level of skepticism un- unreasonably high. Um, and I think that's I think that's unwarranted. Um, mm. uh, you know, if if um, you know, and a lot of skeptics will say, "Well, you need extraordinary proof to to uh, prove an extraordinary claim." Well, that's not really true. You need sufficient proof. You mm. need convincing proof. Uh, if I told you that um, a spaceship of aliens uh, landed in Washington D.C., um, that would be absolutely extraordinary. Uh, but you would probably believe it if you had reliable sources of information, if the major TV networks, for instance, were covering it based on eyewitnesses and so, you'd probably believe it. Uh, that's not an extraordinary level of evidence. That's just a reasonable, a, a, a sufficient amount of evidence. And, you know, I think when we have evidence from cosmology and physics, as I lay out in two chapters in my interview with um, Dr. Michael Strauss, who's a Ph.D. in physics from UCLA, um, uh, if we have evidence that, that God does exist, that God is behind the universe, then this idea that he can intervene is, is you know, would be like child's play for him. Exactly. There's no reason to ratchet up the skepticism unnaturally high. We're talking to Lee Strobel, his brand new book, The Case for Miracles. So much more we're going to talk about right after the break, so don't go away. Get this book today. You will not be disappointed. I'm Frank Turek, back in two. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're not going to hear the case for miracles on National Public Radio, but you will hear it here with my friend Lee Strobel, who, by the way, also teaches at Houston Baptist University. What a great team of apologists they have down there at HBU. Uh, You can check out Lee also at LeeStrobel.com, LeeStrobel.com. If you haven't seen it yet, go see his movie. It's really, he's not in it, but he's portrayed in it. There's actors that play him, Uh, he and his wife Leslie. Go see the movie The Case for Christ, which came out last year. Uh, Just a phenomenally well-done movie. You'll enjoy it. And then so many other books that he's written, The Case for Christ, of course, The Case for the Creator, Case for Faith, Case for Grace, Case for the Real Jesus. Now we're talking about The Case for Miracles. And we were talking before the break about Dr. Michael Shermer, the head of Skeptic Magazine. And uh, Lee was relating uh, what Michael's skepticism was about. But Lee, there was uh, there's a very interesting story that you have in this book, The Case for Miracles, about Michael Shermer, something that shook his skepticism in miracles. What was it? Yeah. You know, I asked him, well, has anything ever shaken your skepticism on this topic? And he said, well, there was this one incident. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, you know, I got married to a woman from Germany. Her name's Jennifer. And um, uh, she was raised by her grandfather and, and loved her grandfather, had a wonderful relationship. And they used to spend a lot of time listening to a transistor radio uh, while they would garden back there in Germany and listen to this beautiful classical romantic music as, the, as they would do the gardening together. Well, he died um, several years before Shermer and Jennifer got married. And um, so they're getting married. She had shipped over a lot of her 
belongings to the United States uh, in anticipation of the wedding. And and one of the things she shipped over was this old transistor radio that uh, used to play this music with her grandfather. And so Shermer thought, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to fix it. So he tried to fix it. He tried everything, and nothing worked. I mean, this thing was totally broken down. He's hitting it on the table. He's trying everything. Finally, he gives up. He throws it under an old fax machine in his desk drawer in his bedroom. Well, the wedding takes place, and uh, they have the reception at their house, and uh, Jennifer starts crying because she feels lonely. Her grandfather's dead, and their family from Germany is not there. So she was feeling very lonely. So they went in the bedroom. To, to, he went there with her to kind of console her. And uh, all of a sudden, they begin to hear this beautiful, classical, romantic music. And they're thinking, where is this coming from? And he checked his cell phone. It's not his cell phone. He checked. It wasn't coming from a computer or from the window from a neighbor. And and then he opened his desk drawer, and there underneath the fax machine was the transistor radio that had suddenly, at this at this key moment when she was looking for some affirmation and some sense of connectedness with her grandfather, began playing the same kind of beautiful classical romantic music that it had played when uh, they were uh, when she was a youngster growing up. And um, he said it was the timing of it that was uh, sent yeah. tremors through his skepticism. He says, what do I make of this? He said, is this some sort of divine message? Was her grandfather on some other plane letting her know everything was all right on this important day? Was just, it's just an electronic anomaly? If so, how do you explain it? Why did the radio work for just that brief moment uh, right at the right time? And then it went and, and it, it played for a while and then it went dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said to him, you know, I said, did this incident crack open a door for you? And he said, a little, yeah, maybe a bit. <laughs> and uh, it did shake him. You could tell. Um, it, it was the timing of it that, that just seemed to give it some sort of almost supernatural um, uh, overtones. Well, for Shermer and every other atheist in the world who claims that the supernatural does not exist, they, Lee, have to believe that every supernatural or supposed supernatural experience in the history of the world, whether it's from yeah. the good side or the bad side, every single one has been mistaken. Now, right. is that is that possible? Well, it's possible, but it's certainly not likely. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, for this book, I did a national survey, and I asked Americans, have you ever had an experience that you can only explain as a miracle of God? Mm-hmm. And 38% of Americans said yes. Now, if you extrapolate that out, um, that means there would be like 94,750,000 miracles that have taken place just in the United States. Mm. Now, let's say that 99% of those are coincidences. Let's say they're anomalies. Let's say they're um, um, you know, spontaneous remissions of an illness or the placebo effect where people think they're going to get better and they start to feel better. Let's throw out 99%. That would still leave almost a million miracles having taken place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when Shermer challenges me and says, you know, what about uh, spontaneous remissions? What about uh, placebo effect? What about charlatans who lie and make things up uh, for personal profit? And you go through this list of explanations, and I just nod my head and say, yeah, 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 that all happens. But it doesn't explain everything. Right. And there are these incidences, uh, and I, I talked particularly about one involving a woman named Barbara Snyder, uh, yes. healed miraculously of multiple sclerosis, um, that are just medically inexplicable. There, there is no explanation. I say, you know, you can give all those other explanations you want, and they can explain away a lot, but they don't explain away everything. In fact, friends, uh, we're talking to Lee Strobel, his new book, The Case for Miracles. This miracle that uh, Lee just mentioned 
um, is in his book, The Case for Miracles. You heard Craig Keener on this program a couple of weeks ago talk about that miracle, but it's not in his two-volume set because he learned about it after he wrote that two-volume <laughs> set. But Lee put it in this book, and that is a phenomenal section of the book, Lee. I mean, you have a f- several pages on this lady who literally was, she heard a voice, get up. She'd been basically bedridden for seven years, and bam, she's up and she's walking today. And this is, this is what, 37, 38 years later. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with her, interviewed her. I have her on video talking about this incident. It, it is the most well-documented miracle I've seen, where she was literally in hospice. She was dying. She was curled up like a pretzel. Um, she had a tube in her throat so she could breathe, a tube in her stomach so she could eat, had lost control of her urination and bowels. She was virtually blind, could only see shapes in, in gray. Uh, she had one lung collapsed and the other one partially collapsed. Uh, her muscles had atrophy because she hadn't walked in seven years. And um, we know that at least 450 people began to pray for her because they wrote letters because it had been announced on the radio that she was dying. And, um, and and she hears a voice of God saying, get up, my child, and walk. And she does. And her, her, you know, her, her, she's instantly healed. Her eyesight is, is instantly returned. Her lungs are reinflated. Her mother comes running in, falls to her knees, grabs her legs, and says, you have calves again. You have muscles again. Her muscle tone had returned. Um, her doctor said the next day when he saw her that uh, she was walking down the hallway, he said, oh, she's died, and this is a ghost. That was his only explanation. Wow. He said, this is medically impossible. Two doctors have written books about it because it's so... Uh, it just can't be explained naturalistically. I say this is this is clearly a miracle of God. This is not, by the way, an example of a of a, of a spontaneous remission. You know, there can be in some sorts of illnesses spontaneous remissions, but they tend to occur over a period of time. They often result in the illness coming back, and um, you know, hers was an instantaneous remission. Plus, and plus, you can't explain the voice telling her to get up and walk. And um, as you say, today she's she's still healed all these years later. She's healthier than I am. And uh, her and her husband are pastors of a, a Wesleyan church out there in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, just a sweet woman um, and, and uh, just an amazing story. But, you know, we got medical records from the Mayo Clinic where she was diagnosed with MS. We've got years of medical studies. We've got eyewitnesses who have no motive to lie. Uh, even the secular media, you know, when it happened, the Chicago Tribune did a big article about it. Because mm-hmm. how do you explain this? this? This is just inexplicable. Now, this was 1981. Were you still at the Tribune back then? You know, I left the Tribune um, in uh, 1980. Uh, the okay, end of just before that. So I, okay. I just left the trip at the time that happened. I thought the other interesting point about that is you, you just said it couldn't be just spontaneous remission because this was in response to about 450 people praying for her because it yeah. went over out over Moody Radio. So in other words, it seems like prayer had something to do with this with this miracle. It wasn't just out of the blue. That's right. You had the, you had the prayers going on and, as we say, at least 450 people praying. And, uh, and how do you explain this voice uh, that she hears? Mm-hmm. You know, th- this is this voice told her something that was ridiculous at the time. It's be like me saying to you, Frank, get up and fly. Uh-huh. You, you're, you're not, you can't fly. Well, right. she couldn't get out of bed. She hadn't been out of bed in years. She, you know, she was curled up like a pretzel. She said to me, Lee, I jumped out of bed, and the first thing I noticed, my feet were flat on the floor. And she said, they've been curled up from the MS. And then I looked at my hands, and my hands had come uncurled. Her fingers had been curled to where her fingers were, were touching her wrists. And her, her hands unfolded and were normal again. And then she realized, 
wait a minute, I'm seeing, I can see this stuff. Her <laughs> eyesight was instantly returned. You know, this kind of instant healing of these symptoms is not what you see in a, in a typical uh, um, spontaneous remission. Now, on pages 93 to about 97 or so, uh, even even goes further than that, you have several other miracles that you've listed here, just briefly. Give us one or two that, that you say, wow, you know, we, we got like like three minutes before the break, so just give us one or two that really uh, you found persuasive. Well, one of, the, one of the ones that is my favorite, and I'm not sure if it's in that chapter or another chapter, mm-hmm. uh, is the story of about uh, Dwayne Miller. Just talked to Dwayne yesterday on Twitter, and uh, Dwayne was a pastor who had a virus who that um, uh, destroyed his vocal cords. It it it, it paralyzed them. It, it destroyed the nerves of his vocal cords. So yeah, you know, we talk like this. And uh, so, of course, he lost his pastorate. He couldn't preach and um, could barely talk. He went for three years like that, went through all his insurance, went through a horrible time, Uh, was examined by 63 physicians during that time period, including a Swiss symposium of voice experts. And when he was asked, when he asked, what's my prognosis for getting my voice back? They said, zero. This ain't going to happen. So his old Sunday school class right here at First Baptist Church in Houston invited him to come. And they said, we know your voice is really annoying, but we, we would still like you to preach. So they put a microphone on him. He began to preach from Psalm 103, which talks about uh, the healing, healing diseases. Of, yeah. 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 That <laughs> yeah. God heals. And, wow. Yeah. He heals my diseases. And, <laughs> and he's saying it out loud through his horrible voice and thinking, well, why doesn't God heal me? You know? And, and then um, he, he, there's a, um, I think it's verse four, talks about sometimes we have pit experiences, experiences in the pit. And as soon as he said the word pit, he said it was like that sensation of that hand on his throat for three years disappeared. His voice returned um, um, miraculously as he's preaching about the miracles of God and the healing power of God. Wow. And, uh, and the, the amazing thing is this is all on audio tape um, because they tape recorded the class. You can hear it if you go to his website, which is nuvoice, newvoice.org. You can listen yourself to the amazement of the class, and you hear the people beginning to shout and think, oh my gosh, what's going on? And, and his amazement, as he realizes his voice had miraculously returned. Now, when he went to the doctor to be examined, he, the doctor said, you know, if I could explain how this voice returned naturalistically, which I can't, he said, I could never explain why the scar tissue was totally gone. Your mm-hmm. voice looks like it's never had any problem. There's no scar tissue anymore. Um, so here you have a guy who, who's um, 0% chance of regaining his voice, who we have audio evidence of it coming back just in the midst as he talks about God uh, healing our diseases. Incredible. That is a pretty amazing story. Incredible. We're talking to Lee Strobel, his new book, The Case for Miracles. Everything we're talking about today is in the book, so you need to get it. Brand new book, just out this past week. The Case for Miracles, a journalist investigates evidence for the supernatural. Phenomenal stuff. A lot more with Lee after the break. What happens when miracles don't occur? What do we say about that? We'll talk about some other issues. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go away. Miracles. We're talking about them today with Lee Strobel, his brand new book, The Case for Miracles. We just heard a couple of indisputable ones. Uh, Barbara Schneider healed of multiple sclerosis, another uh, pastor uh, who lost his voice for several years. He suddenly, his voice comes back and there's no remnants of scar tissue or any of that, right as he's preaching through uh, Psalm 103. I mean, this is amazing. And uh, there are several others in Lee's book. 
Uh, and before we get back to Lee, I want to point out, we'll be talking about miracles and many other issues in the brand new online course that we're running. Well, it's not brand new. We're running it again. Why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It starts this Monday. You can be part of it. And if you join the premium version of it, you'll be able to join me live online via Zoom video where we're going to interact and you can ask questions and the other folks in the class can ask questions. This is a unique thing about our online courses. You don't just watch video. You come live online to talk to the instructors and get your questions answered. We also have courses from Gary Habermas, from Dan Wallace. We're about to get one from Michael Brown and uh, Jay Warner Wallace and others. This is a great place to get uh, educated from some of the top people in apologetics. So go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses uh, you can uh, sign up there and do it soon because we we, we don't want to fill up the uh, or we we, we 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 keep it small enough so you can interact. So we don't want you to miss out. This class starts this coming Monday. You can actually sign up any time in the week because it goes for ten weeks. Uh, so check out crossexamine.org and online courses. Uh, now, Lee, you were mentioning uh, the uh, <laughs> that miracle of the uh, pastor having his voice healed. And uh, just during the break, you were telling me he just tweeted you yesterday, and he's a pastor now, you're saying? Yeah, he's a pastor again uh, up in the, the, the um, Dallas area, and, uh-huh. and this is hilarious, given the fact he now has his voice back. He also has a daily radio program <laughs> where he talks about the God who heals, the God who is miraculous, the God who still intervenes in our lives. And um, uh, so he's a Baptist pastor uh, to this day up there in uh, Dallas. Give, it, give us his website again. Yeah, it's new voice, N-U-V-O-I-C-E dot org. Well, check that out, friends, if you want further verification of yeah, that. Yeah, listen for yourself, you know, uh-huh. and, and see what you think as, as, as he plays that tape. Now, uh, Lee, you, you had mentioned this earlier. A point I always try and make for people who are skeptical of miracles is that if the first verse of the Bible is true, which right. is really the greatest miracle, every other verse is possible, and you spend a couple of chapters with uh, Dr. Michael Strauss out there at I think he's at OU if I'm not mistaken yeah. Oklahoma University is that right Tell University us about what Oklahoma, he, yeah. yeah yeah tell 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 us about what he told you and and, and well, you obviously know, it's a couple chapters here Well it's very interesting because you know his brother I don't know if you know this Mark Strauss mm-hmm. is a great New Testament scholar Oh um, I didn't know okay Yeah he's a professor at Bethel um, University out there in uh, the San Diego campus uh, so what a family to have this PhD, sure. Michael Strauss. You know, what Michael Strauss does is he goes to the, the big uh, super collider in Switzerland and, and crashes protons together and, and uh, makes all these discoveries about, uh, about the inner workings of uh, uh, molecules and atoms and so forth. It's just, just fascinating. Um, but, you know, he looked at, uh, at the evidence that um, um, there is an origin to the universe, um, and, you know, as you know from, from Dr. William Lane Craig, who's popularized the Kalam, mm-hmm. a cosmological argument uh, that whatever begins to exist as a cause, we know the universe began to exist at a point in the past. Therefore, there must be a cause behind the universe. And you ask yourself, what kind of a cause can bring the universe into existence? It must be powerful, given the size of the creation event. It must be smart, given the precision of the event. It must be immaterial um, uh, or spirit, because it existed before the material world must be timeless or eternal because it existed before physical time came into being. Um, Occam's razor would say there'd be one creator. Uh, must be personal because it had to make the decision to create. So you go through that list and you go, well, that's a pretty good description of the God of the Bible. Right. And uh, then he talks about the fine-tuning of the universe, which, of course, uh, the famous skeptic um, 
uh, Christopher Hitchens said was the best argument in favor of um, the existence of God, which is the way the numbers that govern the operation of the universe are are um, so precise on a razor's edge that they allow the universe to exist and and for human life to um, to um, be in existence and to flourish, uh, despite all the odds that you can't explain it away by um, a coincidence. The numbers are just uh, too astronomical. Um, and of course, he talks about the idea that there's, you know, multiple universes, an infinite number of universes. That is the ploy that uh, skeptics use to try to explain away how our universe just happened to get the right uh, parameters of physics so that life could exist. Of course, there is no evidence for for an infinite number right. of invisible universes, and in principle, there can be no evidence. Mm-hmm. And so, it's kind of a convenient metaphysical argument, not a physical argument, not a argument based on evidence. Uh, to try to uh, get around the the obvious implication, which is that there is a supernatural creator who um, loved us enough and cared enough to create a habitat um, so that we could flourish. Well, that's those are a phenomenal couple of chapters. And again, we're talking to Lee Strobel, his book, The Case for Miracles, a journalist investigates the evidence for the supernatural. And Lee, you're covering all the issues in here. It's a very comprehensive book, but it's easy to read. And it's not all that daunting. What is it? 200 and just a little, little over 200 pages. Uh, so you, you, again, have really zeroed in on the essentials of this topic. So it's, it's, it's so well done. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Jay Warner Wallace, our mutual friend. You interviewed him. Yeah. on the uh, program. What did Jim tell you about the uh, possibility of miracles? Well, you know, Jim Paul is such a great guy, former mm-hmm. uh, uh, cold case homicide investigator who's got such an analytical mind and really does know what kind of evidence is powerful and persuasive. What can pre- uh, persuade a jury, for instance, uh, as he would bring these uh, old murders, uh, murders to account in, in the court of law. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about him, I, I asked him, you know, how many of these old murders that you solved are solved by DNA? And he said, none Ze- of them. Zero, yeah. Zero. And <laughs> I said, really? He said, no. yeah. he said, they're solved by witnesses and witness mm-hmm. statements. And, you know, what he did is he used this um, uh, forensic statement analysis technique that uh, investigators use to comb through the statements of witnesses to try to determine, are they telling the truth? And he applied those same sorts of um, techniques to the Gospels and walked away saying that the Gospels uh, do tell us uh, what happened in the life, teachings, miracles, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I thought that was fascinating, the way that uh, he can take those same techniques and apply them to um, um, what happened with Jesus and and come to some really strong and, and powerful conclusions. What was the most surprising thing you discovered in writing this book? Well, golly, um, I think part of it is the well-documented miracles like Barbara Snyder that leave no room for a naturalistic explanation um, and how airtight some of these cases are. Um, that, that surprised me because, you know, I've seen cases of charlatans and others that um, will create a, a, an emotional atmosphere. In fact, I talk in the book about an atheist in England that does a stage show where he creates this environment that's like a healing service and uses um, um, all these techniques to, hi- to heighten the emotion of the uh, attenders. And then he, quote-unquote, heals them of things. Um, um, well, really, it's the placebo effect. It's them mm-hmm. mind over matter, thinking they feel better because they expect it, because they think this guy's a faith healer. Well, it turns out he's an atheist. 
Um, he's just using um, techniques to psychological techniques to mimic uh, a healing. And, and of course, um, you don't see healings in multiple sclerosis or things like that. You see people saying, oh, my arthritis feels a little better kind of a thing. Right. Um, but so you see the examples, and it just it, it just raises a question in your mind. Well, are all of these current contemporary accounts of miracles um, explainable, or are they all the product of some charlatans or whatever? And uh, you know, looking at this evidence, in fact, um, one of one of the people I quote is a, a physician who read Craig Keener's two volume masterful work on miracles, and said, "I read it because I wanted to reinforce my skepticism." Uh, to read about a guy uh, who didn't understand things like the placebo effect and spontaneous remissions and so forth. And he said, I read it, and yes, I could explain a few of these things away, but ultimately I couldn't explain a lot of this away. Mm. The evidence is too strong. There's no escape hatch uh, to say that there's a naturalistic explanation. I think that really, it did two things for me. First, it amazed me how many cases like that there are. But secondly, it just made me more in awe of God. you know, Sheila Walsh, who's a Christian singer and, and TV host and so forth, uh, said, you know, if if, um, if God used the Case for Christ book to kind of awaken your faith, uh, she said, um, you know, you read the Case for Miracles and you fall on your knees in worship, mm-hmm. um, because it just points toward a God who is powerful, who is loving, who is creative, um, and, and um, it just makes us, I think, more um, staggered by the evidence of God around us. And, you know, for me, Lee, I don't know if, if, if you feel this way as well, but even if there are no modern-day miracles, that wouldn't necessarily mean that the miracles of Jesus did not occur. In other words, for me, modern-day yeah. miracles are more like icing on the cake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I was kind of skeptical of modern-day miracles until recently, to tell you the truth, until mm-hmm. I read Keener's book and your book, yeah. um, because so often— so many of these things can be explained by the methods you just mentioned, but yes. uh, I think you say somewhere in this book that, uh, or maybe it was somewhere else I read this, but just because a number of eyewitnesses are fraudulent in no way uh, proves that another eyewitness must be fraudulent as well. Yeah, and not only that, but um, one of the most fascinating statistics I uncovered is that 55% of physicians in the United States say they have seen an example in their practice of medicine that they can only explain as being a miracle of God. Mm. That's Mm. a majority of physicians. I mean, these are not uneducated people who don't understand how healing works in the human body. These are well-educated people familiar with medical issues. 55%, a majority, say they've seen it in their own practice. That really blew me away. It's one thing to say 38% of Americans uh, have experienced a miracle, because you know, many of those probably are just great coincidences. Uh, but you get into the physicians and you go, wow, that's really something. In some of your other work, you've uncovered the fact that um, just most uh, New Testament scholars, even if they lean toward liberalism, agree that Jesus was some kind of miracle worker, correct? Yes, that's right. You go back to the earliest uh, traditions of Jesus. I mean, just kind of carve back the uh, Gospels, back to the um, the, the hypothetical Q um, uh, source, uh, right. uh, that, that perhaps among the earliest. Um, he's still a supernatural healer. Uh, mm. There is no Jesus ever in history, uh, you look at any uh, source material, uh, where he's not an exorcist and a healer. 
And, and you know, and you look in the in the Gospels, and you what do you see? You see the enemies of Jesus not disputing the fact that he's done miracles, but saying, "Hey, you ought not do them on the Sabbath." You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. So they're, they're conceding he's doing miracles. They're just uh-huh. saying they don't like when he does them, um, which is interesting in and of itself. We're talking to Lee Strobel. His fabulous new book, The Case for Miracles, is just out this past week. You need to get it. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Lee about when miracles don't occur. Because, let's be honest, most most of the time they don't occur. So what does that mean? And how do we deal with issues of loved ones and strong believers, even apologists, not receiving the miracle they prayed for? Well, we're going to come back and talk about that with Lee Strobel. I'm Frank Turek. The website's crossexamined.org. We're back in two minutes. Wow, I didn't know this. I didn't know that this book, The Case for Miracles, is so good. Well, I knew it's a good book, but it's actually going to be a movie as well as The Case for Christ. Lee, tell us about that. Yeah, it's going to be a sequel to The Case for Christ movie. I just got back yesterday from... uh uh, Denver, where I met uh, for three days with the screenwriter, Brian Bird, who wrote the Case for Christ movie. And uh, we've got the same director coming back, John Gunn, who's terrific and hoping to get some of the same cast. And it's going to be um, based on the true events, uh, based on true miracles that have taken place uh, from the book, and also the personal story of Leslie and me and how her healing has not taken place from uh, the illness that she has. And and um, so it's a very human story I think people can relate to. Um, so that'll be out in September of 2019. We're very excited about that. Wow, that's astonishing. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled this is going to be a... You put the case for Christ in this together, and if people are open, there's going to be a lot more salvations, in my view, anyway. I think so. You know, yeah. it's interesting. Case for Christ the movie is now on Netflix, and mm-hmm. we're seeing a huge response uh, from Netflix. Um, in fact, it trended over Easter weekend uh, on Netflix, one of the most popular shows on the entire um, operation. Uh, but in Australia, a, a church rented a movie theater, showed the Case for Christ movie, and 22 people came to faith right there in the theater. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, yeah, so for an evangelist like me and like you, I mean, nothing better than seeing God using something like this to, to change people's lives and eternities. Oh, outstanding. Well, we'll look for that. And friends, uh, go to Netflix if you haven't seen The, the Case for Christ, because you can see it up there right now. And then let's look out next year for the movie when it comes out, The Case for Miracles. In the meantime, get the book, The Case for Miracles. You will not be disappointed. By the way, Lee, is there an audio version of this? There is. We had a production problem um, with it, and so it's been delayed a little bit. But you can pre-order it, and it'll be out in about a month. Okay, good, good. Well, either way, friends, you got to get this book, The Case for Miracles, if you're in any way skeptical. And even if you're not skeptical, even if you want some documented evidence that miracles not only occurred in Jesus' day, we've got very good evidence for that, but also today. However, there's a big however here. Quite frequently, the miracle does not occur when we ask for it. We look at our friend Nabil Qureshi. We look at Lee's wife, Leslie. We look at uh, Doug Grotice's wife, who has not been healed. Tell us a little bit about that, Lee. What have you discovered? Because the, the chapter you, 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 you have here with... Uh, with Doug is uh, is quite moving, and as you say, there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom in here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your experience with with uh, with Doug on that issue. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, his wife Rebecca has uh, is dying prematurely of a brain illness. Second, the op- it's kind of the opposite of Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's starts in the back of the brain and moves forward. Hers starts at the front of the brain, moves backwards, um, which means that she is aware that she's losing her mind, and you know she's to the point where she doesn't know how a telephone works. She doesn't know 
what a hairbrush is. It's a very sad situation. She's young. She's only in her 50s. And, and so um, he's able to talk in a very moving way, not just as a great philosopher who understands the, the issues uh, from that perspective, but from, from a caretaker, from someone who loves his spouse and is watching her slowly uh, succumb to this illness. And he said, you know, there's a difference between meaningless suffering and inscrutable suffering. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, meaningless suffering means that uh, suffering is it's just there. Uh, it doesn't achieve a greater good. It has no purpose. This is, this is how atheists view suffering. It's meaningless. It, it, it has no purpose. But he said, inscrutable suffering is different. Inscrutable suffering means we don't know what the purpose is, but we have reason to believe that God is providential, that he's loving, that he's all-powerful. And while our suffering may seem meaningless to us, it's not. He said, here's the point. God uses evil to produce a greater good that could not be achieved otherwise, though we may not understand how, given our, in, our finite intelligence and fallible nature. He said, in other words, we have a framework of knowledge about the truth of Christianity, but within that framework are pockets of ignorance. Uh, God is infinite. He's unlimited in power and knowledge, and, and we're not. So we should expect that certain things would be obscure for us. And he talks about praying what, uh, what's called the prayer of relinquishment, which is when you say, you know, I don't want this healing issue to be an idol. I don't want to say, Lord, I'm going to love you and follow you if you heal my, my spouse. No, um, I love God because he is who he is. He loved me first, and, and his son died for me. And, and so I love God um, independent of what happens in this world to my spouse. But, mm. um, you know, sometimes you pray a prayer of relinquishment that says, you know, God, I'm not going to make this an idol. Um, I love you. I trust you. Um, um, you know, you are great. You are good. You are powerful. You are omnibenevolent. Um, and I'm going to put my trust in you despite what goes on in my life. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd love to have this cup taken from me, but, you know, your will be done. I want what you want. And I asked, it was interesting. I asked Doug at one point, I said, if you were God, would you heal Rebecca right now? And he said, no. And I, I, I kind of surprised. What, what do you mean? He said, Lee, if I were God, it would mean I would have God's perspective. I would have God's knowledge. I would mm. have God's perfection. I would, I would, and, and I would make the same decisions that God makes if I were God. Wow. And I thought, that's, that's true. That's right. Um, God, in his providence, in his sovereignty, um, heals as he chooses and as he will, and he has the big picture that we don't have. And if we had that big picture, you know what? We do the same thing. Yeah, due to the ripple effect, we don't know how things are going to ripple forward into the future and affect other people and other events yep. off into the future. We, we we can't see it, as you said, Lee. In fact, that reminds me of a quote from a pastor at Notre Dame in Paris about 150 years ago. He made the same point this way. He said, if God were to give me his power for 24 hours, you would see how many changes in the world I would make. But if he gave me his wisdom, too, I would leave things as they are. Oh, that's good. I said, that's good. whoa, <laughs> that's yeah. about the most profound thing I've ever seen on the topic. Yeah, and that's exactly that's very right. powerful. But it still has to be a bit demoralizing to be praying and praying. In fact, Lee, did you in any way get into uh, some of the verses in the New Testament, which almost... They seem to almost guarantee healing. Like if you do X, Y, and Z, like say James 5 or, mm. or uh, say Mark 11, you know, if you have enough faith, it'll move mountains. Did you get into that at all in, in, in writing this book? 
A little bit. I mean, we, we got into the fact that uh, ultimately there will be healing, and, and Leslie will be right. healed, and Rebecca will be healed. Uh, God promises and he delivers, uh, and, and healing for everybody, ultimately. Um, in this world, though, I think it can be dangerous when we... Um, and I talked to a former charismatic uh, pastor in the book uh, who's now a theologian at Baylor University who talks about, um, you know, how when his mother died and his father was a pastor and a and, uh, great man of God, and when his mother died, there were people who said, see, God, she would have lived if he had enough faith. If you had gone in the mission field, uh, which is probably what God wanted you to do in the first place, then she wouldn't have died. And it, and it just puts a lot of undue uh, guilt and, and stress on people. Uh, who are just living their life as best they can, following Jesus as, as devoutly as they can. Um, you know, it, it's it's a bit inscrutable from our perspective uh, why he exercises healing power in this world and, and why, why he doesn't. Well, one way we can look at it is to realize this is not heaven. Things aren't always supposed to go our way here. That's certainly right. true. And uh, I think sometimes we think that, especially in a comfortable America, that somehow if things aren't going our way, either God doesn't exist, he's evil, or he's forgotten about us. Which is exactly opposite of what the scriptures promise. I mean, the greatest evil of all was done to Jesus. And as, as Doug points out in your chapter with him, he said that was the worst evil ever, and yet it resulted in the greatest good. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when we suffer, I think we can say if God can take the worst thing in the universe, which is the death of his son on the cross, and turn it into the best thing, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him, then God can take our circumstances and draw good from them as well. Mm. The book is called The Case for Miracles. Lee Strobel, once again, another masterpiece of a book, uh, has written some or has interviewed some great folks in here and has really covered the, the the main segments of this issue quite well uh, with these folks, and of course makes it all very, um, very understandable. Uh, Lee, this is just a, a, a great work. Where can people learn more about it? Do you have a website for this, or where, where can they yeah, go to learn more? Yeah, we have a really cool website. It's called uh, Case for Miracles, all one word, caseformiracles.com got some uh-huh. cool stuff there, and um, there's also opportunity for um, real inexpensive uh, um, ways to get it and uh, free shipping and so forth. So um, caseformiracles.com is a fun place to visit. And you're also on tour a little bit, doing some speaking. Where can they learn about that? Yeah. You know, my website, leestrobel.com, uh, talks about some of my upcoming events and, and speaking. And um, I've been doing a lot lately. Um, I've been doing a lot of fundraising for pro-life organizations, for crisis pregnancy centers. And, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing that in Raleigh uh, coming up and um, uh, several other cities, Houston and elsewhere, uh, trying to raise that, uh, that banner of uh, the value of life and uh, uh, the great work that these crisis pregnancy centers do. Now, are you teaching much at HBU? Yeah, I teach, of course, every semester there, and um, that's been a great experience. I love the people over there. Um, have a lot of good projects in the works. I'm, I'm working on probably what will be the final book in the uh, case series um, that will come out in two years that I've just began uh, my research on. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, most of all, though, excited about uh, four grandkids. And, uh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, watching my little uh, uh, 12-year-old granddaughter lead four people to Christ recently. Uh-huh. Um, she, she's a little evangelist, and uh, it's so much fun to see this uh, baton being passed to the next generation, bringing the gospel and trusting it to these young people and watching them run with it and share it with others. Wonderful. 
Well, Lee, as always, another great work called The Case for Miracles. Friends, you need to go out and get this book immediately and uh, also watch The Case for Christ on Netflix now. And get Lee's other books, too, if you're interested in this, these topics. They're the best kind of books out there that you can get, uh, as always. He interviews the best folks and makes it understandable. So, Lee, thanks for doing this and thanks for being on the show. Uh, glad to do it, Frank. I appreciate you and all you do, not just with your show. Your books are you, man. All right. Thanks, brother. That's Lee Strobel, sure ladies and gentlemen. And uh, it's wonderful having Lee on the program again. So check out his book, The Case for Miracles. Go to that website as well. And don't forget about the course. Why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. We still got a few seats available, especially in the premium side. You can take the uh, self-paced uh, anytime you want. But the premium side starts this coming week. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you'll see it there. I'll be your instructor live online on three occasions during the course for Q&A. So check it out, and I'll be back here next week with Dr. Craig Keener for the second part of our interview on miracles. Thanks, friends. See you next time. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.